Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is my truth. Tell me yours. On this episode, I spoke with Guy Capasolatro III. Guy is a musician, singer-songwriter, and runs a record label. Uh, actually, runs two record labels in and around the seacoast, New Hampshire, Maine area. Um, we sat and talked at Lil's, which is a coffee and pastry shop in Kittery, Maine. Um, Guy is someone that I've wanted to talk to for this on this podcast for quite some time, and uh, you know, both of us have very busy schedules, so it was great that he was able to make the time for me. Actually, he made the time for me twice because I we were supposed to record last week, and then my car died, and I had to get a new car. So, uh, doubly thanks to guy for uh making the time uh it's great talking to him uh on the eve of the 14th annual rpm challenge and uh, uh as you'll hear in the conversation he's got quite a few things in the work in the works for that um this episode um is brought to you by wearedappertise.com uh, it's their necktie company if you go to wearedappertise.com you can check out their wide selection of ties if you pick one or several out and at checkout put in the promo code truth you will get free shipping in the continental united states so thank you to dapper ties for their sponsorship and yeah i hope you enjoy my chat with guy capisolatro the third Thanks for thanks for rescheduling. Uh, of course. Uh, yeah, I've got a new to me vehicle now. That's that's that that's another thing about it. we were just talking before I started recording about thinking about relocating. One of the things that is sort of appealing to me about living in the city for a couple of years, not having to not having to have a car. Um, you know, one of my coworkers at the Portsmouth Trader Joe's lived in New York City for 22 years. He's like. Yeah, I've only owned a car for the last four years. He's like, you know, I owned them before that, but it's like, what was that like? He's like, oh, it's nice. He's like, you know, but also New York City is one of those cities where pretty much anything you want to do, it's easy to get to through multiple mass transit things. So we're around here in Seacoast, New England. It's a little difficult to not get around without a car. So sort of a necessary evil. Yeah. So this is the... We're right on the, the cusp of February, mm, which it's in the air. Yeah, uh, you've got the shirt on. It's <laughs> yeah, the, the RPM challenge for those listening, uh, which is um, is this the eleventh year? Uh, I think it's the fourteenth. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been involved every year? Every year. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, what was it? What was it like in the beginning? And how's it different now? And like, what keeps you, what what keeps you doing it every year? Yeah, I remember um, the, the first one, Dave Karlotsky, who ran the Wire, the magazine, the Wire, yep. with Karen. Um, 
he tapped me on the shoulder. I was waiting in line at a sandwich shop and told me about the RPM challenge and I'd heard of the NaNoWriMo and some of the, the writing ones, but yeah. I hadn't heard it in a musical context before. And the idea of the RPM challenge is writing and recording an album in the month of February. So, Because it's the shortest month. Yeah, and it's also in the dead of winter when us New Englanders are all about to stab one another and right. yeah. go out of our heads a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I had I had GarageBand software on my computer, but I hadn't ever used it. I'd done a lot of four-track recording and recording in studios, but it just seemed like a good excuse to kind of jump in. Right. Um, so yeah, the first year I think I did you know I did 28 songs, which was, seemed kind of crazy at the time. Right. And now I do multiple RPMs every year. Yeah. Um, which is fun. And for me, it's it's I love the collaboration. Mm-hmm. It's always fun coming up with concepts and. Um, working with people that you haven't worked with before. Yeah. 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 I feel like I start thinking about it in, you know, the middle of summer or yeah. something. Do you, um, do you ever feel like if you're thinking about it beforehand, do you ever feel that's like cheating a little bit or? Um, I'm pretty stringent with how I approach it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, you know, I can think about it all I want, but I try not to do any do sort any of active, writing or, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is good. I feel very open. Um, in fact, I was trying to do some preparation, just getting my recording gear straightened out and that sort of thing. And I realized every year I'm thinking I will organize everything and be ready for it. And yet I don't do that until yeah. the day of even. So yeah. Yeah, it's a couple of days away and I'm amped. Do you know how many how many recordings, like how many albums you might do this year? It's in Is the area of... Uh, 10 or 11. <laughs> that's it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, It's and I never can be sure, but that's about the amount I have lined yeah. up. People tend to drop out right. by time. So. How do you, so if you're doing, so the, my memory of the rules, because it's, I, I've, I participated in, I think it was the fourth year, I, I, did, I did a stand-up album. Nice. So it was sort of like a little, little bit of a cheat but it was it's great i had been wanting to i had been thinking about doing stand-up for a while and never i was like well it's not right time right now right now right now and then when rpm was coming around i was like i'm gonna book a show and record (laughs) so it was actually great you're wearing uh you know the rpm shirt but it's got art by dan blakesley so dan blakesley opened for me at the players ring doing stand-up uh, and i did about 70 minutes but wow 70 minutes for your first time yeah it's crazy Um, uh, and it's funny because I look back I I listen to the recording of it now and there's some stuff I'm like oh, I would have turned this I would have changed it but I mean that's sort of a, usually people do like five minutes their first time right yeah. <laughs> um, but so the parameter of the RPM is was it 10 songs or 35 minutes worth of music exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a, I have a project that I'm hopefully gonna hopefully gonna complete uh, in February as well but but we'll see. It's a collaboration with someone. So, great. so yeah, it's fun, uh, and it's through through email and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So so we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, you're you're kind of the kind of the king of collaborations. <laughs> uh, so when you start thinking about you know each year's RPM challenge, how far in advance do you start reaching out to people asking if they want to? Um, you know, there's some that I've done multiple years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend and musical collaborator, Jim Ryu, we mm-hmm. always do projects together under the name Pale Wallace. So okay. I think this will be maybe our eighth 
year doing it together. Yeah. As well, I've done some with Mark McElroy mm. and Greg Porter, where we go into the electric cave and just write 10 instrumentals in the studio, record them. You know, it's like four or five hours and we're yeah. just done. Um, so there's some like that that are recurring. Yeah. Um, and I never say no to anything. So anytime someone asks me, of course, right. I want to do it. Yeah. And then uh, there's always concept albums. Right. And um, there's also, I just figured out what I'm doing for the group project. So I, I like to do a various artists one where I... Mm do a challenge um, this year it's Imagine Lives so it's taking a photo or just a stranger you see on the streets um, and sort of writing writing their story in song kind of thing that's a so, cool idea yeah that's a cool idea um, did you do you have photos picked up or are you leaving it up to the various artists uh, no just leaving it up to them and it's you know uh, wide interpretation it could be a mountain sort of looking down and yeah thinking about what the trees down there right I don't know that's a cool idea I years ago and this this always struck me as a really cool idea there was two compilation albums various artists compilation albums they were called You've Got Your Orders and You've Got Your Orders Volume 2 and all it is was the guy who compiled it who wasn't a musician himself just a music fan he reached out to you know 15 people artists that he liked and said hey I want to do this thing he gave them a song title with the mm. challenge to write a song based off that. And uh, this was pretty interesting, the wide gamut of different ones. Yeah. But I was like, I, I like that idea of you know, having kind of parameters around something because it forces creativity in different different avenues that you wouldn't necessarily think of yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I did one that was kind of intriguing uh, where... It was uh, Vic Chestnut had just died in December of that year, yeah. and so I wrote a song kind of about him, and I gave the lyrics to you know ten different people, yeah. and we all wrote songs given the same source material that I created. That was kind of an intriguing one in that vein, I guess. Yeah. I was, I was, I just shared a Vic Chestnut song. It wasn't his performance of it. They so they did that Sweet Relief uh, mm. tribute for him years ago, and. Garbage's cover of Kick My Ass, Open the Album, and I played it for a friend. And she immediately, she's like, I really like this, but their writing is different than their normal <laughs> stuff. I said, they didn't write this song. You know, but, um, yeah, such, such a talented guy. Yeah, I got to open up for him at the Elvis Room way back when. Yeah. Man, it must have been probably 92, 93, something yeah. like that. But, when did the Elvis Room close? Was it 96, 97? Something like Sounds that. about right. Yeah. Um, so you've been, so if we're going back that far, how long have you been playing music on the Seacoast? Um, yeah, really since I moved here in 87. Okay. Came for college and yeah. uh, played with a friend of mine, Bob and Bob and Guy. And okay. A whole bunch of bands. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's been, been a long, got to see a lot of changes in the area. And yeah. Things come and go. Yeah. Um, where'd you move from? Um, I actually moved from Plymouth. I was going to school there, but I grew up in New York. Okay. Just outside the city. But you've been the here suburbs. 30 plus years yeah. at this point. Yeah, so, um, Feels like home. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. I was I was talking to someone a couple days ago, and, and not someone who's tremendously immersed in the local music scene, but... 
she asked if I was, you know, talking to anyone for for this podcast. And I said, yeah, I'm talking to a guy. And she didn't know who you were, which surprised me because it seems like to me like you've just been a, a staple of the Seacoast music scene for as long as <laughs> I can remember. Um, you know, as, as long as... As long as I was aware of local music, both you and Dan Blakesley were guys that were out there making it, and you know a handful of other guys as well who are still doing it. But I think maybe because you you both perform under your own names, mm-hmm. it kind of stood out. So there was you know some other some other guys that uh, I've known in various guises throughout. But uh, no you know, pun intended. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, John McCormick's a guy that I've known for a yeah. long time, but it only this year or the end of last year put out the first thing under his own name yeah the paint box which is awesome yeah, yeah. nice to see him getting around with that yeah for sure for sure um so you were talking about the you know doing multiple albums for the rpm challenge i mean you're anyone who knows your music definitely you being a prolific songwriter and prolific recorder of music <laughs> you know have, I've always talked about how much music you have I mean I, I remember when I a couple years ago when I was in a house in Summersworth I actually had all of my CD collection alphabetized and you know I had a section about <laughs> about nine inches wide of you know I just took a shot at the spines and they were all your albums and someone's like oh wow you must have every single album. I was like, no, not even, not even close. I was like, these are just ones that when I find them, I was like, oh, I got to get that one. And uh, well, thanks, appreciate that. Do you? I mean, do you know how many albums you've put out? I don't, and I had meant to count up the RPM albums. You know, in the fourteen years, I mean, I think it's around sixty albums or okay. something just for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I for me, it's more about the process. I sure. don't put everything out, and um, yeah, I like the writing, and I like I like recording. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not good at promoting myself, and you know, playing out is is nice, but it's also stressful and yeah. weird and yeah, antithetical sure. to my personality. Sure. I think so. Um, so yeah, for me, it's all about kind of creating things yeah. and being sort of swirled up in that in that moment of. You know, just having an idea or just plinking around and yeah. seeing where it leads you. Do you... I mean, how... How easy would it be for you... I mean, if if you are playing a show, like, you know, 60 albums, that's a lot of material to draw <laughs> from. How do you decide? Do you write set lists out beforehand, or do you just... Um, I do usually, yeah. It yeah. calms me down to at least know what I'm doing. Sure. Um, and I'm sort of limited. I I don't like to be a guy who has to look at his lyrics. So, right. um, you know, I've probably got 100, 200 songs in my head, but it's also just a fraction of what I've written. Sure. And I don't want to bore people, so I try and rotate things in and out. But right. uh, there's only so much I can stick in my brain. Sure, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, how, I mean, you know, you were talking about collaborating with Jim Ryu watching other people what what is it about collaborating with the different people that you know like draws you in because obviously if you're working with different people it's got to be different things for yeah and that's person. that's the appeal I feel like you know I can sit in my attic and do my own thing day mm-hmm. after day and right. come up with stuff and 
um, it's so much more exciting when you bring other people in and to to go places that you wouldn't wouldn't otherwise have landed. Yeah. You know, that's the intrigue for me. Um, I think coming up with concepts too, where it sort of limits the parameters, is kind of an intriguing way to to get you out of your head. Right. I feel like I don't want to be writing the same album over and over again, but. As much as I write, I know I'm, I'm retreading things. So yeah. anytime I can be pushed out of my comfort zone, it's always really fun, sure. fun for me. Sure. Do you, I mean, what's your writing process like? Do you have to make on purpose time to write, or do, you, do ideas just come to you and sit down and try and capture it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've done a number of writing um, kind of workshops where. It made me sit down and try and figure out my own process in ways yeah. that I hadn't prior. And yeah, I mean, I love that sort of flash of inspiration you get where you're like just so excited and your hand can't move fast enough. Got to capture um, it. Yeah. yeah. But those moments are, are so rare. Yeah. And I feel like I have ways of sort of tricking myself into, into getting that same sort of feeling. Um, and even even attacking it more like a job sure. at times sure. where I just know I have to do it. And, uh, you know, I think for me and probably a lot of people who work in the arts in general, I don't really have a sense of my own stuff. I right. just kind of make it and, you know, move on. Sure. You know, I sure. don't, I'm not someone who does a lot of editing. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me it's more about like, trying to figure out how I can keep that going and you know I think it's sort of like a muscle where if you're kind of working it a lot then you get more ready and things are more accessible for you oh absolutely um, I always have you know my phone is always with me obviously and um, you know I've got hundreds and hundreds of little ideas there yeah. and you know I try and you know structure my life in a way that if I have some idea I can stop for a minute and you know blurt it down even if I'm you know going off to the bathroom and typing on my phone or right. whatever it, whatever it is you know I write in the car a lot that's a great yeah. great place um, yeah I mean hard as an artist for you who works in you know painting that yeah. you can't really have have it that way you have to yeah. make your time and sit down and touch things and yeah well it was interesting because you know talking about exercising the muscles I you know I made the decision a couple of years ago that I was going to try and sit down and draw every day. Mm. With my schedule now, it's not always possible, but, um, you know, just doing that practice, I mean, I've seen huge improvement, yeah. leaps and bounds, and it is just keeping with it. And that's the biggest thing that I've said to people who... Because I have to hear, well, I don't know, you know, I'm not feeling inspired or whatnot. I'm like, <coughs> right. does, it doesn't matter. It's putting, you know, pencil to paper or, you know, picking up your guitar or whatnot and, and getting the muscles working. And, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the thing. I was like, I got to approach this as, you know, this is my primary reason for getting up during the day. Everything else right. is fueling that that so I gotta act that way. Yeah, and like you said, your your stuff is gonna grow exponentially by doing that. You know, that you're finding that work ethic and you know, it's something that you need to make sacrifices. I feel like a lot of people don't aren't willing to put the work in. Right. Um, and you know, you go to work for eight, nine hours a day and slog it out and 
you know, but you call yourself a poet or you call yourself, you know, a painter or a writer or whatever. And, you know, if you're not putting that kind of time into it as well, uh, it, you know, it doesn't seem like you're going to really get anywhere with it. Right. Um, I remember reading an interview with Jeff Tweedy and he was saying that, you know, even when they're not making albums or touring, um, you know, they go every day into the studio yeah. and they just work on stuff, yeah. you know, they treat it like a job. This is how I'm supporting myself and my family and I'm, you know, it's not like I'm waiting for, you know, an idea. It's right. like I'm going to just get in there and just slog it out. Yeah. When I, you know, thinking about it that way, it's like, you know, having a retail job now, you know, working at a, at a grocery store, obviously around the holidays, we have huge rushes, but, uh, and, you know, with the Super Bowl coming up, a lot of business, <laughs> but if we only open on the, on the weekends that, you know, there were these big events, you wouldn't, you wouldn't stay in business. Yeah. Right? You gotta, you gotta be consistent. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I recognize that I do write a lot, but, you know, people don't see the fact that, you know, I sleep three or four hours sometimes, and, yeah. you know, when I'm in, in the studio, I can work for 16, 18 hours straight, um, you know, there's a real dedication to it that, um, you know, it may seem easier on the outside than it does, I mean... You did your cross-country tour that we were talking about and yep. did a different painting in every state. And, you know, that's just deciding to do something and doing it. You know, and you can't, like, I feel like I need a nap because I'm fucking tired of driving. Right. It's like, well, I got to paint this thing. This right. is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I'll sleep later. Yeah. Yeah, I did on that trip. I did my single longest day of driving in my life, which was I left uh, Fargo, North Dakota, at 9.30 in the morning and got to Missoula, Montana at 11.45 at night and that's also including crossing a time zone so I, it was an hour there and you know, the last three or four hours I'm so tired but there's no place to stop there because I'm driving through the mountains and it was like I just gotta get through this but you know, the nice thing was once I got to Missoula I stayed in the same place for three days so yeah yeah but yeah, yeah. I like I like driving. Just that alone time in your head. For sure. I think I did uh, in the spring Ann Arbor home, which is about fourteen hours. Did that straight. Yeah. I can hit it pretty hard. By yourself, just mm-hmm. dealing with driving. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of driving too, obviously. Uh, yeah. But I've done several cross country trips at this point. Most of the time was you know because I, I moved to Arizona moved back, came back and forth twice, driving, and, and most of the time, I did almost all the driving, and I was totally fine with that. It was just, you know, I actually, I preferred it. Uh, the, my last cross-country trip before my solo jaunt was, uh, the only time I didn't drive was the about six-hour stretch through the panhandle of Texas, uh, and that's when I have a bench warrant in Texas oh, yeah. uh, for a speeding ticket that I never paid, <laughs> and I was like... Okay, you can take over. I'll just be the guy in the passenger seat for a while. Exactly, exactly. So that was one of the things when I did this this last trip. I was like, I got to get that taken care of, and I, <laughs> and I you know, called them up because I was like, yeah, there's probably a little bit of fees, but because it was a, it was a six hundred dollars speeding ticket wow. originally, and it was up to like twenty two hundred dollars. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm not gonna. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, well, I'll That's take my crazy. chances. Yeah, it was so in West Texas. There's this whole stretch of five or six hundred miles where the speed limit's ninety-five miles an hour. 
And I always, growing up around here, what I was taught to drive was if you're less than 10 miles over the speed limit, you're in the clear. Uh, so I had the cruise control set at 104. <laughs> drove right past the state, but you know, I'm pretty sure the out of state plates was a huge thing. So, wow. uh, but the way that they ticket there is not how high over the speed limit you're doing, it's you were going this fast or this fast, so you know, 20 to 35 miles an hour, you know, however much, $40, you know. 35 to 55 is 75 and so on and so forth. You were hitting the top. <laughs> yeah, because I was over 100, it was automatically $600. And it wasn't like I was intentionally planning on not paying the state of Texas. I just, the way money worked moving, because moved with Best Buy at the time, they pay bi-weekly, but they pay one half of the country one week and one half the other, and we hit it in just the wrong way that we went about three weeks without getting paid, and it was like, okay, well... Guess I'm not going to Texas anytime soon. I guess if you're driving that fast through it, you don't really want to be in it that much, anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I've I've gone through Texas a few times since then, and always had someone else driving. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it is one of those things that I, I'd certainly like to take care of it, right. just because you know it's a it's a thing to have over your head yeah you don't want to see some stadies and cowboy hats showing up at your door one day exactly exactly (laughs) um uh so if you're if you're driving and you get an idea for a song you just pick up your phone do a little little memo thing yeah yeah I mean, it's probably not the safest thing in the world, but it's pretty easy to grab right. your phone and just hit, For hit sure. a button. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there were times when I've actually handwritten things down, which is really bad. Yeah, that's but, uh, less safe than yeah. hitting a couple buttons. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, I remember one year I did a project with a friend of mine in Portland, and we worked on some songs at his house in Portland, and on the way home I, you know, wrote the lyrics to three of the songs, so it was like, yeah, I just really liked that. I like the in-between times if you're at the airport, like, waiting or, yeah. I don't know, there's something about that that's really intriguing to me and I feel like I'm able to be, be pretty productive with it. That's uh, that's an interesting thing because I think about that, like, the, like the, the busy times where, where we're not actually busy, so most of us try and occupy ourselves, which nowadays most people pull out their phone and do something with yeah. it, but it's... I do a lot of people watching during those times when you know, you're waiting for the bus, you're waiting at the airport, and yeah, and that'll usually get the, the wheels spinning. Um, I also, I started doing, uh, I started doing the, this portrait series a few months ago where I try and take someone in kind of an ordinary setting with a sort of mundane pose, but will I usually crop their head out of the picture and it pulls your focus away from the person itself and kind of right. seeing the you know the outfit you know whatever whatever they're they're working on that's in their hands it kind of brings a, a different attention to it and it like it, I, I don't know I I always try and find the the unique and the, the beautiful in the, the mundane and the, and the past yeah. over in everyday life because there's there's so much amazing stuff that we walk by all the time. Yeah. yeah. Of course, so when you're showing someone a painting of them and their head's off, yeah. <laughs> they're a little confused by yeah. it. <laughs> so you didn't need me. You needed literally anybody to stand there. 
Um, no, I mean, I, <laughs> I've done several other portraits as well. It's yeah, just, no, yeah. Awesome. And it's and it's actually, there's some people that have reached out to me seeing some of the other ones. They're like, I'd love to do that, but I, you know, I, you know, I love your work and I always wanted you to paint me, but I didn't want my face in it. So I was like, <laughs> perfect, you know, let's, let's do it. So, Sweet. yeah. Um, so you haven't, so you haven't begun any of the writing for the RPM challenge no. and you're, so that's, that's about a hundred songs in 28 days that you're going <laughs> to, you're, you're, you're going to write or yeah. co-write. Is that, is that daunting or, or, um, or is it exciting? It's, t- it's or tough bump? being on this side of things. Yeah. Like once I get about halfway and I can kind of see the arc of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I'll you know those first few days I will hit it very hard to feel like I can get some some movement on yeah. it. But uh, it it is kind of daunting, but it's also exciting. Yeah. You know, I just um, um you know my brain is sort of shaping things a little bit, and um, people have different ideas for the project, so I'm sort of thinking about things in, in ways and not really yeah. not really working on it. But uh, yeah, I feel like I'm uh, you know welled up, ready to explode. Sure. Do you, I mean, have you ever, being that, you know, this is the 14th year that you've been involved in this, have you had, like, kernels of ideas kicking around your head and thought, I'm going to save this for that? Or as soon as you get an idea, pretty much just attack it? Yeah, it's more, more concepts come, come to me. Um, you know, obviously I do a lot of writing outside the RPM as well, right. so I have a couple groups that I do like kind of song shares mm-hmm. with some generating things that way and you know I'm yeah kind of always writing so sure. it's uh it's hard because as I say I pile up all these little bits of ideas and then you know then I get into RPM and I'm like well I can't use those so I have to like start from start you know fresh. so I'm still you know, yeah. have all this yeah like, um, should just get rid of them. I feel like I have, you know, just boxes of cassettes and micro cassettes and all these things still that I can't throw away. But you know, I don't really think I'll ever go back and listen. Do you have any sort of archiving system, or is it just kind of put it in the box? <clears throat> um, you know, I started uh, some years ago, like writing, typing up all my songs um, because I was forgetting things. And I have, I don't read music, I don't really know music, right. um, but I have a stamp that has like a yes. fretboard of a guitar. Yeah. So if I'm making up chords and that sort of thing, I can at least remember what I'm doing yeah. and at least try and get, you know, some recording of everything. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and you said. Not everything that you record ends up getting released. Um, what's so you do more of the editing on the other end of it? Um, if you would, do you? I mean, do you consider that sort of the editorial process, or um, how do you decide what gets released? Yeah, you know, I, I just heard a uh, podcast about Jason Molina from Songs Ohio recently, yeah. and they were talking about how he was sort of a similar way. He kind of came out of this blues tradition in ways where, you know, people would just spontaneously write songs. You'd be, like, sitting around, and someone would just be making things up. But I think that was more along the lines of what he wanted to do. And he would, you know, often not play songs for people before going into the studio, sometimes even writing them in the studio. Um, I guess I'm always much more intrigued with making a new thing than trying to work on an older thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Yeah, I'm doing a, a poetry workshop with a friend of mine, and we recently did a uh, 
one of the prompts was about editing, and we had to like you know write a poem and then cut it by by about half. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm always I'm always I just want to do the next thing. Yeah. You know, that's much more exciting to me. But yeah. I, I recognize the importance of editing, but. Um, it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm sending these out or people are really hearing many of them. Right. So I think I'll just let the ones I've done be as they are and yeah. just move on to the next. Um, so a lot of the stuff that you release is through Burst and Bloom mm-hmm. Records or do you exclusively release them? I mean, is that, it, that's your label, my understanding. Yeah, right? that's my label that I run with uh, Dylan Matrano. Okay. Um, who's also an artist and musician. Um, so yeah, a lot of the stuff gets released there. I also have a uh, label Two-Ton Santa. Right. That used to be a zine, that used to be a band. But um, yeah, I started that to release a tribute to Dom Leone, who played here in the late 80s in this area in a band Edger Demon Qualities. Okay. Um, so I recently, maybe three years ago, did a site for all that, the stuff I released on that. Yeah. And things that I don't put on Burst and Bloom, I'll, I'll throw up some up there. You know, I only want to be really releasing one or two albums a year, right. and yet I'm making 10 or 12, so right. I don't want to, you know, seem like a maniac. When did, when did Burst and Bloom start? Um, boy, I don't know. That was probably about seven, eight years ago. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think we're just uh, we're getting ready for a bunch of releases. We did the, the Sid Lindner record. We just sent off to the Burlington Record Plant. Um, Is it uh, Hotel Hotel Alexis? Alexis yep. Yeah. So I think that one's sixty-four. But we're releasing Jerusha Neely's album as Mahedible. She played with Brown Bird and yep. South China, some other bands. And then, uh, yeah, got, uh, I was just working on Sam Carp's record. He plays with Peachum, but yeah. uh, we just did some stripped-down things. And, uh, yeah, it's going be, gonna to be a big year, I think. Now, are these getting digital, physical re- releases both? Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, wicked old, so I still like, <laughs> I still like the physical stuff. Me um, too. Yeah, it's hard, and I think, too... Obviously, artwork is really important to yeah. to our aesthetic, and I like seeing the images and you know, sort of pairing together artists with albums is always intriguing. So yeah, we've been doing more records. So the mm-hmm. next three releases are all LPs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't figure it out. It's really just a way of throwing money into a hole and <laughs> right, just forgetting about it. Um, yeah. Do you put? I mean. They're all available digitally as well, right? They are. Yeah. Um, what's the... I mean, you guys are a pretty small label. Um, yeah. What's the you know ratio of you know physical format selling as opposed to digital? Or does it depend from our Yeah, it, it depends. It's, it's, more, it's more digital at this point, but we have such a limited scope. Yeah. You know, we don't really... You know, I don't know what the downloads are, but, you know, it's in the... 60 range or right, something right, like that. Right. Um, it's more like I feel like we're creating this community, sure. you know, of like-minded folks. And we're talking earlier just about the sort of music scene in the Seacoast area. And I feel like it's so just sweet how different people play on albums mm-hmm. and like to work with other folks and play in different genres. And, you know, it was much more delineated when I first moved to town. Mm-hmm. 
remember seeing the uh, documentary movie that came out about the local scene that talked about fly spinach fly and things like that. Oh, uh, in danger of being discovered, Mike Venn's film. Yeah, yeah. and just thinking of how uh, how separated everything felt at the time, and how you know it's just much more cohesive for sure for, for me in, in ways. Um, but yeah, it's just a great a great place to kind of do your thing. Yeah, yeah. We um, you and I actually were both. Uh, had small parts on Eric Ott's death record, uh, mm, yeah. which was I don't know, three, four years ago now. Uh, yeah, that was a wild one. I mean, and there was uh, he had several several people contribute to that, but that was a that was a really cool thing to be asked to be involved with that. Yeah, and you know, like you said, where it was very delineated, like twenty years ago when I was making music on the seacoast, it never would have occurred to me that that was even a thing like that that was even like air quotes allowed to happen but you know the older I get the more I realize you know music is music you know yeah I just saw Mike Effenberg play at the Book and Bar as uh, Weird Turn Pro and uh, just to think of you know all the different projects he does and you know he's playing in like the Soggy Cowboys doing like you know foreign New Orleans jazz and doing his own really out there stuff and then playing with Dan Blakesley. Yep. You know, it's just sort of neat to be in a place where people don't feel limited by, you know, pigeon being pigeonholed right. into some genre right. or category. Yeah. Do you think I mean cuz you you have played with you know, a fair amount of people from outside this community as well. Do you think that sort of thing is more indicative because we're a smaller community or do you think that's yeah. happening everywhere? Yeah, when I talk to friends, it's definitely much much more so here mm-hmm. and even you know, even to think of when the RPM challenge started 14 years ago, yeah. I was amazed that there were 165 local bands yeah. that did albums. I was like, where are these people? Yeah. You know, and that was in in the wake of the Elvis room closing where you weren't seeing all these local bands and right. it didn't feel like there was a scene. Yeah. <clears throat> and then and just like some of the stuff that like Ryan Harris is, Harrison's doing and Joey Pratt with Suze and you know even yeah. the series that that Ryan was booking at the at the Red Door when that was in the heyday his Thursday night thing it's yeah. sort of neat to see younger people just trying to figure out how to how to yeah. create their their own scenes yeah um, yeah it is I mean. That's been the sort of lamentation of local musicians ever since the Elvis Room closed, that there hasn't been really a place for local musicians to play. I mean, Book and Bar is getting people there. 3S has done, I think, a a decent job of offering spots for local Mm -hmm. people to play. But as far as a place for local artists to play regularly, that really hasn't been something that we've had. Um, Yeah, and not something that's, like, small and sort of intimate and that, you know, if you get... 15 or 20 of your friends to come out it's going to be okay and you're going to have an awesome time right. you yeah. know yeah. yeah I think I think the red door it sort of you know lost some of that for sure and Sue's I mean I love Sue's and I love what they're doing and it's amazing that they're running it as a collective right. I think it being far away from the seacoast has kind of hurt it some yeah it's in Rollinsford which yeah. you know as the crow flies isn't that far but it's it's kind of it, it's it's not in the middle of anywhere it's right. it's a destination thing so yeah it's tough yeah but I mean Portsmouth has also changed so much in the last 30 years that I think 
I don't, I don't know if a place like the old <laughs> could survive today. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean that tough. that old location. It's probably been. Yeah. You know, a dozen things since the Elvis room closed. Yeah. So I was used to think about that when I was uh, eating at Radici or mm-hmm. something. I'd go to the bathroom and be like, man, the shit that happened in this bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, like, you know, playing pinball back there. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild for me to uh, just see some of the old buildings that were part of the Frank Jones Brewery yeah. get uh, kind of worked on and yeah. finally fixed up. Yeah. We used to have a space in what was called the Mattress Factory. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For it was sure. one of those, and it was just this freight elevator and just kind of crazy. Like, yeah. you can't imagine that they would let us live there and do stuff there. Did, I think, Christicato had a Yeah, Christicato lived there and yeah. had a studio there. Yeah, we did. Uh, so, way back when, my old band, uh, we were called Sam I Am at the time, we did our <laughs> very first recording in Chris's studio because I remember he didn't have a, you know, a filter for his mic so he just picked a sock up and put it on there and I was singing into it and I realized pretty quickly that it was not a clean <laughs> sock so I was singing into Chris Decato's dirty sock for that those first recordings that's awesome and then we did you know we recorded with Jim Tierney at Fish Tracks which mm-hmm. is you know Fat, uh, fat Face now yeah. uh, uh, but it was a candle shop for years. Yeah. 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 Did recording there. And, um, yeah, Jim Tierney actually used to have a space up at the, the bunkhouse that was in that same big building. Yep. The mattress factory. Yeah. But just, yeah, it just felt like, you know, it was just chaos. You know, yeah. You could just kind of do whatever. And, um, yeah, it's hard to imagine that that will ever happen here right. to that extent. Well, just the way culturally... You know, and, and I'm not talking about us, like you and I, but all of us, the way we consume music has changed so much, uh, certainly in the last decade. Um, it seems like it's becoming less viable for musicians to make a yeah. living making music. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, how, do you, how do you keep from that? Like, um, yeah, it's really, it's really hard being a musician at, at this level. And, you know, even 10 years ago, you know, when you'd play a show and someone was buying like a $9 drink but wouldn't buy a $10 CD, right. even when they were loving it. And, yeah, it just is, is hard to work in a medium that people have universally said, well, we don't really value it, right. so we're not, we're not going to pay you for it. Like, right. I wouldn't. I recognize that it costs you money and effort to make this, but that doesn't really mean anything to me. I'm just right. going to take it. And yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it, it's crazy because I think if you asked almost anyone on the street, is music important in your life? Almost everyone would say, oh, absolutely, I love music. But, uh, you know, if you said, you know, do you think the people who create it and are trying to make a living off of this deserve to be paid. I think if you put it to them that way, they would say, yeah, but if you broke it down to, well, you know. Will that change how you live in the world? No. Right. No. no. Um, yeah, there was an interesting essay, maybe five or six years, an intern at NPR who worked on All Songs Considered. She wrote an essay basically saying, I've got, you know, tens of thousands of songs, but I've never paid a single dollar for music. And there's sort of a big uproar yeah. about it, but it also, you know, it's just a fact. Right. Young people don't think about music in that way, right. you know. 
Right. Um, and it's hard to, it's you know, you can't change that. This is just the way it is. Right. So, um, you know, I do music because I like it. You know, I like sitting in a room by myself and making things. I like collaborating with friends. Um, you know, I've known Dan Blakesley, you know, for most of my life. Yeah. And, you know, he struggles, you know. He's been making art as a living his whole life. And right. I feel sort of lucky that I never tried to do that because mm -hmm. it, it can really beat you down. And, sure. and Dan is an exception because he's been able to do it, you know. And, you know, he's... You know, can't afford a new car or teeth work, and right. you know it has takes its consequences. But there's so many people who have failed trying it. And sure. For me, I just feel lucky that it's something that I love to do and I can do it. And sure. Yeah, that will sustain me. Yeah. Well, you know, Dan is a good example for me. Um, you know, because so so a year ago I was, uh, or you know, when I went on my trip initially, mm -hmm. the the plan was to try and do art as a full-time thing and I knew I was going to have to subsidize but I didn't you know I wasn't I didn't know quite what it was going to be like and so that first year year and a half was really a learning experience but um you know now I'm working three part-time jobs because it's and it's funny because this time last year I had hardly any commissions and you know I would get them but it's not something you can rely on but I was going to still make art because it's something I just have to do but you know seeing someone like Dan who I think I think when I talked to him he said the last time he's had a full time like any sort of job working for someone else he was 19 years old and not only is he doing it year in year out but it's never broken his spirit um, or at least he's never let on that it's broken his spirit and that was something that's always been a huge inspiration for me is that you know um Dan just has to do this, it's, you know. Um, yeah. And I think most people who, I think that's the difference between a passion and a hobby is you're going to do it regardless <laughs> of, you know, the financial rewards or whatnot. It's just something you have to do. Whereas a hobby is, oh, when I can fit it in in my right. free time. So Yeah, and that's that's hard to see. You know, I had a, a couple of friends who, you know, had some success with music and even a couple who were on major label records. Right. And, it's hard when you reach that point and if it doesn't work out, you're sort of dropped back down and then it's hard to sort of, you know, it's hard to play for five people right. at a show when you're used to a higher level. I sure. Think. Um, you know, I'm, I'm used to the very dregs of, <laughs> you know, performance wise sure. and in terms of claim and I feel lucky. I, I mean, I've had a ton locally over the last couple of years, but I, I feel happy that I don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting thing, you know, with, with the change in music. I mean, I have a few friends who have, as well, have, you know, been on various levels of, you know, quote-unquote, making it in the music industry and uh, had been on major labels now, either self-releasing stuff or on a smaller label and seeing them having to adjust to the change, so... But, I mean, luckily, I don't think I know anyone who's given up music, who's yeah. pursued it for a long period of time, so, yeah. yeah that's good, yeah. It's, it's just, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, because through social media, I often post what I'm listening to at the time. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I've had a couple of people reach out to me and say, oh, you know, that's really cool that you do that, because it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to know what you're listening to when you're painting, but also, I hear about new artists, but... I also have some people who will 
kind of make fun of me about, you know, still buying physical mediums. <laughs> and I'm like, why, why, why are you buying that? And I'm like, well, that's how I enjoy yeah. listening to music. But it's how you've come to interact with music. It's right. part of the experience. Oh, you yeah, open sure. it up and you look at it and maybe yeah. you read the credits and maybe there's lyrics there. That was, uh, I, I had, uh, um, you know, a significant other who I lived with for several years who about twice a month would be like, can you get the stack of CDs out of the sink in the bathroom? Because she knew every time I was sitting on the john, I was reading <laughs> album notes, and then I'd just put the yeah. CD next to it. So, yeah, that's been a ritual of mine for, for years and years. Yes. It, is, it is fun that you do that, that you post what you're listening to, because you have a real wide range of music. and yeah. You know, if I don't know something that you're listening to, I'll be like, oh, check that out. I've had a couple people do that that have told me, they're like, you know, months later, hey, you'd been posting about this artist, and so I decided to check them out, which to me is uh, hugely satisfying, especially being someone who I feel my, my, my own musical skills are fairly limited, but I've been a huge fan of music. Yeah. Uh, and a supporter of musicians, which is really yeah, important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so to turn someone else on to some music that I think is, you know, really worth listening to is, is a huge, like, thumbs up in my book. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I look forward to hearing. The, <laughs> See the, if I make it out the, of the next month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would, uh, I mean, it was funny when um, I had asked you about this. You're like, well... <laughs> I've got some time now, and then February's going to be nuts. So you know, be, you know, I almost like love to do like a like a follow up in, in like forty five days. Be like, how did it go? Yeah. You know. So, but I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. So, no. Yeah, thanks yeah, for doing yeah. it. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you.